We're going to continue in the scripture this morning. Today we're going to conclude our sermon series we've been working through in the, the month of September, our sermon series on homecomings. And one of the things we've been looking at this week is how homecomings can often be messy and complicated and they don't always happen as quickly as we would like them like them to happen. This morning we're going to hear about one more, one more moment of homecoming. We're going to go back to the story of Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. And today we're going to pick up that story 40 years after the part of the story that we told as we were singing the song about all those horses and riders just a few minutes ago. So today we pick up the story 40 years after God set the Israelites free from slavery in the land of Egypt. Now finally, God's people, the Israelites and, and Moses, are standing at the border of the promised land. They're just about, after 40 years of traveling, just about to cross over into the promised land. And now here's the thing that maybe you know it shouldn't have taken them 40 years to get there. From Egypt to the land of Canaan, the, the promised land, is about a 250-mile journey. Right? That's about the same distance as Flint to Sault Ste. Marie. It's a, it's a long walk if you're walking it, but it is not a 40-year walk. Even if you've got all of the children and the seniors walking with you, it's still only a walk that should have taken the people a couple weeks. And as a matter of fact, it did. The first time they made that journey, it only took them a couple weeks after they left the land of Egypt. They walked right up to the border of the promised land. It took them about two weeks to get there, and they looked across the border. And then this morning, now 40, 40 years later, Moses is going to tell the people what happened in that moment. Moses, not many people at this point in the story remember what happened. And so Moses is going to tell them the story. Here's the story that Moses tells the people as they are about to enter the promised land from the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, Moses says this to the people. In that moment, he says, I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given the land to you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Do not fear or be dismayed. But all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to explore the land for us and bring back a report to us regarding the route by which we should go up and the cities we will come to. The plan seemed good to me, and I selected 12 of you, one from each tribe. They set out and went up into the hill country, and when they reached the valley of Eshel, they spied it out and gathered some of the land's produce, which they brought back down to us. They brought back a report to us and said, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, it is because the Lord hates us that he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we headed? Our kindred have made our hearts melt by reporting the people are stronger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified up to heaven. We actually saw there the offspring of the Anakim. I said to you, have no dread or fear of them. The Lord your God who goes before you is the one who will fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the wilderness, where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as one carries a child, all the way that you traveled until you reached this place. The word of God for the people of God. 
Well, a couple weeks ago in worship, I shared with you that the, the Peters has bought a house this summer. We, we bought a house up in, in Sheboygan, up north. It was a, a bit of a fixer-upper. I think I told you that that house hadn't been lived in in something close to 20 years. And so we knew it was going to need a little bit of work. We knew that it was going to need some, some cleaning out. And, and honestly, we were a little bit nervous about what we were going to find when we got into that house and started poking around in all of the cabinets and all of the cupboards. And as it turns out, when we got in there, we found all sorts of interesting things in the cabinets and the cupboards. Some of the things that we found were, were a little bit scary. So, for example, uh, in one cupboard, we found a jar, a 20-year-old jar of homemade ranch dressing. We, we didn't open the jar. That's, that's how you unleash the curse of the mummy. We just, we just threw that away. We weren't curious enough to actually open it up. In, in another cabinet, we found a waffle iron that, that looked to be about as old as the house, the kind of thing where if you plugged it in, you might burn down half of Michigan. We, we decided not to, not to plug it in. We found all sorts of interesting things as we were cleaning out the house and poking through the closets and in the cabinets. But of all of the things that we discovered, of all the things that we found, the thing that I was most excited about, my favorite thing of all, was something that we found in the basement. So in a room in the basement on a table, there was a stack of newspapers. And all of the newspapers were from the year 1955. I have to tell you, not a lot of work got done the day that we found that stack of newspapers. I lost almost an entire day just sitting down there in the basement and looking through these papers and reliving the year 1955 week by week by week. There were a lot of interesting things that happened in 1955. Some of you were there. I don't mean to tell you. Others, others, this is going to be concerned. So here are some of the things that were happening in 1955. Uh, back then, the Tigers were pretty good. That was the year that a 20-year-old uh, player, a brand-new player named Al Kaline, batted 340 uh, and became the youngest player ever to win the AL batting title. It was an exciting year for the Tigers. The Red Wings were good that year, too. The Red Wings won the Stanley Cup in 1955. That wouldn't happen again until, does anybody know what year? 19, 1997, right? So that was the gap, 1955 to 1997. And the Lions, the Detroit Lions, were terrible that year. They only, they only, they only won three games. They, they went three and nine that year. And so, and so it's good to know that some things never change, right? right? As a matter of fact, one of the things that I noticed as I was reading through those papers, one of the things that struck me is just how many of the stories in those papers from 1955, just how many of those headlines felt like they could have come out of the news that you and I are living through today, right? So there were stories about the civil rights movement. 1955 was the year that Emmett Till was murdered by a, a group of, of white men and that an all-white jury refused to convict anyone for the crime. And later that same year, that was the year that Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a bus in Montgomery. And now here we are almost 70 years later and still people are marching in the streets to protest injustice and, and violence against black bodies. A lot of those stories from 1955 felt like they could have come straight out of the news today. And back in 1955, that was the year that, was the year that uh, uh, well, hang on a second, got to think of what else was happening that year. So, so there was injustice. There was also this one headline that absolutely grabbed me. And I want you to take a look at it because uh, this is a, a headline, a headline that uh, it stopped me in my tracks and it got my attention to the point where I actually took a picture of it. Most of those newspapers that were in the basement uh, that day, they were, they were all mildewed and moldy and they couldn't be saved. But I wanted to save this headline 
because if you caught my attention. So if you're here in worship this morning, you've got a picture of it in your worship sheet. If you're at home, you're about to see a picture of this headline on your screen. So let's take a look at this together. Here's the headline that really got me as I was reading those newspapers from back in 1955. The headline was this, Ike wants vaccine assured all under 20. Ike wants vaccine assured all under 20. Back in 1955, America was in the middle of a massive national campaign to vaccinate the whole country as quickly as they possibly could. Now, some of you remember this. Some of you remember, of course, the, the, the thing that we were vaccinating people for back then, it wasn't COVID. Who remembers? What was it we were vaccinating people for in 1955? Polio. That's right. Some of you remember this. Some of you lived through this. Now, polio was, was uh, obviously a different sort of a, a disease than COVID. And yet, when you start to read and learn about what was happening in the early 1950s, some of the similarities between what people experienced then and what we are experiencing now are really, really striking. So in the early 1950s, America was experiencing these, these polio epidemics. There was a virus that was moving from house to house and from community to community. And this virus was highly contagious. But most of the people who had the virus didn't experience any symptoms at all. So about 70, more than 70% of people who got this virus were sick and they didn't know that they were sick and they could make other people sick without even knowing that they themselves were infected. Does that sound familiar? It sounds an awful lot like what we are, are living through. Now, some of the people who got the polio virus experienced something like a cold or a flu and so they had these sort of mild symptoms and then a very small percentage of people, one half of 1% of people who got the polio virus experienced the, the very worst symptoms. And polio could cause a, a muscle weakness and, and a paralysis. Usually that, that paralysis affected people's legs, but sometimes it affected the muscles that we used to breathe. And so back in the early 1950s, hospitals across the country were overwhelmed by all of these patients who were coming in unable to breathe for themselves. And so hospitals were having to scramble to get their hands on iron lungs and the equipment that they needed in order to help people breathe. The very first intensive care units were introduced in the early 1950s to, to care for patients who had been infected with polio. It was a moment when healthcare in America changed in ways that we are still, we are still living with today. These, these infections, the polio infections, the epidemics, they came in waves. Now, they started early in the summer, and then as the summer went on, things would get worse and worse. So by the time you got to the end of the summer, movie theaters were closed, and swimming pools were closed, and roller rinks were closed, and kids, by the end of the summer, children in America were just stuck at home and bored. They weren't allowed to play with their friends, and their parents were watching them anxiously for any sorts of, of symptoms of infection. Is any of this sounding, is any of this sounding familiar? Thousands of people, thousands of people died, tens of thousands of people year after year experienced lifelong, lifelong effects from these, these infections. And then suddenly, in 1955, a sort of miracle happened. A man named Jonas Salk announced that he and his team of researchers had developed the first effective polio vaccine. And people rejoiced. Churches rang their bells to celebrate the announcement. And all across the country, as fast as they could, people lined up to get the vaccine for themselves and especially for their children. And that's what this headline that, that was in this newspaper from 1955 was about. It was about this moment when, when suddenly uh, President Eisenhower and the Eisenhower administration said, we are going to vaccinate the entire nation as quickly as we possibly can. And, and so that's what they did. And it worked. The epidemic stopped. 
They stopped having these waves of people coming into emergency rooms, unable to breathe. Movie theaters and swimming pools were able to open up again. It stopped to the point where the very last case of polio in the United States was back in 1979. That's how effective this vaccine was. We no longer have to worry about polio in America. That vaccine and other vaccines like it, in fact, were so effective that we have forgotten what it's like to live through a pandemic. We've forgotten what our parents or what our grandparents knew. We've forgotten what a miracle vaccines are. We have forgotten the power of vaccines. We've forgotten how to live through and how to put an end to a pandemic. We've forgotten to the point where now we're living through another pandemic and we have a vaccine that can put a stop to this thing that is happening where a virus is traveling from house to house and community to community. We have a vaccine that can put an end to all of these people coming into emergency rooms, unable to breathe, needing life-saving equipment in order to breathe. We have a vaccine that can put an end to this pandemic. And rather than lining up in drones, we have found that people are more afraid of the vaccine than they are of the virus. We have forgotten what our parents and our grandparents knew, and now we are suffering the consequences of all of that forgetfulness as this pandemic just goes on and on, month after month after month. And that's what today's scripture reading is about. Today's reading is about the consequences of forgetting and the power of remembering. So today we pick up the story of Moses and the Israelites 40 years after God set them free from slavery in the land of Egypt. When the Israelites cried out to God, God heard them. God said, I am going to bring my people out of the land of Egypt. And so God started sending plague after plague after plague until Egypt, the mightiest kingdom in all the world, had been brought down to its knees. And then the people, as they were walking out, they heard Pharaoh's horses and riders riding along after them. And so God, God wiped out the mightiest army in all of the world with, with little more than a flick of the wrist. All of those horses and riders were swept away. They were thrown into the sea. God led the people out into the wilderness. God appeared to them in a pillar of cloud and fire. The people saw with their own eyes the power and the glory of God. And then God led them through the wilderness. God led them all the way to their new home in the promised land, the land of Canaan. God led them to the Jordan River. It took them about two weeks to get there. They walked through the wilderness for two weeks. They walked right up to the border of the promised land. They looked across that river, and then God said to the people, now go, go into the land that I have prepared for you. Go into the land that I promised for you. And Moses says to the people, all right, everybody, let's go. Let's get our feet wet. Let's go through the river. And the people look at Moses and and they say, hold on. We don't know what's over there. Let's, let's take a moment to just catch our breath. And Moses, let's, let's send some scouts. Let's send some scouts into the land to check out the land and see, and see what is happening on the other side of that river. See what we're going to experience, what we're going to find when we get there. Now, only Moses and a handful of people 40 years later remember what happened in that moment. And so Moses, now 40 years later, as the people are about to cross into the promised land, as they are at that same place, at the river, again, Moses gathers the people together and he says, listen, I want to tell you this story because you need to know what happened. You need to know why we have been in the wilderness for the last 40 years. And so he says, on that day when the people said to me, let's send some scouts, let's send some spies into the promised land, God help me, Moses says, I gave you. I said, okay. And so we chose 12 men. They sent them across the river into the promised land. And then they came back and they made their report. And this is what they said. They said, well, we got good news and we got bad news. 
The good news is that it is a prosperous and a fruitful land that the Lord has prepared for us. Take a look at the fruit we brought back. Grapes the size of your fist. Apples the size of your head. It is a good and a fruitful land. That's the good news. The bad news is that there are people over there. There are Canaanites in the land of Canaan. And they are taller than we are. And they are stronger than we are. And they've got great big mighty cities and the walls of those cities reach all the way up to the sky. When the people heard that, they were afraid. And they grumbled against God. They said, God only brought us out here because God must hate us. Why would God bring us all this way just to be massacred by the Canaanites? They grumbled against God and they grumbled against Moses. And Moses said to them, listen, you have seen with your own eyes the power and the glory of God. You watched as God brought the land of Egypt to its knees. You watched as God swept away all of those horses and riders. You have seen God appearing to you in a pillar of fire stretching up to the sky. Why should we be afraid now? Let's go into that land and the God who was with us two weeks ago will be with us when we go into that land. Now God will fight for us. God will guard us. God will guide us and protect us. Moses said to the people but the people refused to budge. They were afraid and their fear made them forgetful and their forgetting made them fearful. And God looked at the people and God saw their stubbornness. And God said okay if you won't cross the river, if you won't go into the promised land, then you won't go into the promised land. Instead, God said, you're going to wander through the wilderness for 40 long years. You're going to wander in the wilderness for as long as it takes for all but the most faithful of this generation to pass away and for a new generation to rise up and take your place. And so that's what happened. The people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Most of the people who led the Israelites out of the land of Egypt passed away. And now 40 years later, Moses is more than 100 years old. Only a handful of people beside Moses remember what happened on that day. Moses gathers all of the people together. He tells the story and he says, listen, I am old and my journey is at an end. I have come this far, but I'm not going any farther with you. You are about to cross into the promised land. I am going to remain here. He says, but before you go into the promised land, before you cross that river, I want to tell you something. I want to ask you something. I want to share with you this word of wisdom, this word of advice. When you cross into that new and strange and promised land, Moses says, remember, when you find yourself living through hard times, remember that we have lived through hard times before and God was with us then and God will be with us now. When you find yourself living through scary times, remember that we have been afraid before and God was with us then and God will be with us again now. When you find yourself surrounded by enemies and feeling small, remember the power and the glory of God that you saw with your own eyes when God brought low the land of Egypt, when God led you out into the wilderness and swept away all of those horses and riders. Remember the things that you have seen of God and let that remembering drive away your fear. There are people who don't understand why we do what we do in this place on Sunday morning. I've heard people say, why would you want to get out of bed on Sunday, the one day you actually get to sleep in? Why would you want to get out of bed and go to a place and sit with a bunch of people and listen to a bunch of stories out of some dusty old book? And what those people don't understand is that the reason we find so much value in this book, one of the things that we value most about this book is that it is old. And what they don't understand is that the dust on this book is the dust that was kicked up by the feet of the people who walked through the wilderness before us. 
The dust that we find on this book is the dust of people who have been where we are now and they know the way forward. When we get together on Sundays and we tell these stories over and over and over again so that we find ourselves face to face with injustice and oppression. We will remember that we have seen injustice and oppression before and that God will not let it stand forever. When we find ourselves in times of peril and fear, we will remember that we have seen peril and fear and danger before, and God was with us then, and God is with us still now. We tell these stories over and over again, so we will remember that we have lived through times of sickness and sadness and quarantine and death before, and God led us through that, and God will lead us through now. If only we could remember what our parents and our grandparents knew. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would lead us. Lead us just as you led our parents and our grandparents. Lead us just as you led the Israelites out of slavery in the land of Egypt. Lead us to a new place. Lead us through this time of wandering, this time of fear, that we might find our home in your presence and be at rest. God, help us to remember when we're feeling small and overwhelmed, help us to remember when we're feeling lost and confused, help us to remember when we're feeling alone in this world, help us to remember how you were with your people then so we can find how you are with us now. All these things we pray in Jesus. Amen.